to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. We're thinking about faith. Um, yesterday we saw a little bit about faith. We, we think about how John views faith. Let's see if I can, we can remember what his, his work, he is the writer which uses the word to believe. He doesn't use faith much, but he says to believe more than anybody else. Right? In his writings, there's more than even Paul, who was apostle, who thought about faith. All right? And in that book, we said faith or believing is one thing, but then there are other ways he expresses it help us to understand what faith is. Remember what some of those were? There were two that particularly are important from John. See, this is early morning. We'll get going here. Wants to come to him, right? He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And in that, he makes a parallel so that to come to him is the same as believing in him. So that we saw from that that it's always personal. Faith, any description of faith, is it just believe? You know, it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's common. I've said that many times here that the movies always have it in there. Oh, let's just, if we just believe, it'll all work out. Well, believe what? Belief in a biblical sense is a personal thing where you come to a person and you say, I trust you. Because that's, that's another way of putting it. I trust you. All right. But there's another way, which is very important in the book, which, again, will give you a sense of why I kind of, every time I have a youth conference, I'm kind of intense. All right. I try to be pretty intense because I got one shot, one shot, and then you're going to go. And I don't know if I'll ever see you again. And you're at an age where you're making decisions about how your life will work out. You're making those decisions. And this other word that we said is at the very beginning of the book of John. He said he came to his own. And what does it say? And his own did what? They didn't receive him. But then it says, and this is where we, the, the idea of faith comes in. But as many as did receive him, those who, who received him, it says, he gave the power to become the sons of God. He did something for them. When they received him, that receiving is a, is another way of saying they acted on faith. They believed him, but the receiving is the thought that he said something and then they did something about what he said, because sometimes we have this sense that faith is something, belief is something I have here and that's all it is. You just, it's something I, okay, now I believe, you know, yeah, I believe. But the New Testament writers don't look at it that way. If you believe something, then you act on it. All right? And it sometimes is almost described by people in, in such a way they, that you're afraid to act on it because that will become a work. You know, we don't we live by faith, not by works. Well, that's why James says, if your faith doesn't result in works, it's a worthless faith. How can you say you believe and not do something about it? And see, that's what Jesus says in a very important Section again, just this is a different book, but the book of Matthew at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. this is it. Now, I, here's what I've said to you. They were there. They had come to Jesus. They had heard what he said. So now something's going to happen here. You're going to either go and build on what you heard. You're going to order your life because of what I said and structure it around the word that you heard. Or you won't. You're going to walk away from this. You all know it. I mean, it's what he's saying. Now you've heard it. I've said it. Now you're going to do something about that. Those that had faith would order their life around what they heard. 
And what's, he, what's the picture he gives there? Everybody knows that one. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Okay, again, that was, that, I, that's from way back, all right? But maybe they don't sing that one anymore. But anyway, they used to sing that, all right? And that's the picture. And, it, and here's what Jesus says. And he, he's, he's real strong on this one. He says, this man's building on a rock. This man's building on sand. The houses look the same. You can't really sort them out all that well. But one day, a flood comes. Right? See those floods in, in uh, Yellowstone last week? Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, wiping away rivers, taking houses into them. I mean, it was, it was a mess over there. Anyway, a flood comes. And when that flood comes, he says, one house will stand, one won't. Now, Jesus was warning people that, and, and this is one of the burdens I have, is why I want to be kind of decisive about what we're saying here. Everybody here will face a day. There's just no way out of that. Face a day when you will appear before God and you'll give account. And you will either stand in that day or you won't stand in that day. Now, it won't be according to your works. It'll be according to your faith, true enough. But if that faith didn't lead, or if your supposed faith didn't lead to works, then didn't lead to you building on what Jesus said, then it's going to be a, a tough day. I have a great fear in the church that we have described a group of people who have received Jesus and haven't done anything about it. It can't work. That is an unbiblical idea. In other words, I, I'm not building on this, but I have received him. Oh, that scares me. For the people. For the people. Because if you find out you were wrong in that day, like said, it's, it's not good because you can't go back and retrace your steps and say, I should have done better. So it's imperative that we, we understand um, what Jesus says and then build on it. Build on it. So that's the nature of faith. But we also said yesterday, and I'm, this is yesterday's part. Now. I'm going to end up in the same place I did yesterday, not getting finished if I'm not hurrying. That faith isn't the issue. Is, 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 it's an issue a long way, but faith isn't where God's going. He doesn't want you just to be a person of faith. What does he want? Jesus came in order that you might, what? Have life. You see, the faith is a means to a life, and that's what he promises. That's what he promises. And when we say that life, we have in our own Christianity too often reduced that to eternal life. That he, he wants you to have life forever. And that's true. He does want you to have life forever. But we relegate it out there. And we say, well, now I, I got that dealt with. It's not as bad today as it used to be. But when I was growing up, you know, you, you had to walk the aisle. Oh, yeah, I got that done when I was five. And now I live this way. And I know this is taken care of. And now I can live however I want to live. That's kind of the way it worked out. And yeah, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. But I always walk the aisle. So that's taken care of. But the person wasn't alive. They weren't living. All right. Okay, now. Um, so life is the issue, and that's why I left you yesterday to try to think out, because that's not the easiest thing to define. You know, what is life? If you have it, how do I know I have it? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What is it, you know, all those things. So I want to read this passage from, from John. Again, this is John, or this is the Lord speaking, okay? This, if you're going to receive it, you're going to have to listen to what he has to say. And it is in John chapter 7, verse 37. Well-known passage. You probably have heard it many times, all right? Here's what it says. Now on that, on the last day, that great day of the feast, 
Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If any man, anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Right? If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Right, so he sees there's two things you do, come and drink, right? You're going you're gonna to do that. Right, and he says, what's the promise he gives there? Right, that's what you have to read in the next verse. He who believes in me, what? Out of his innermost being, out of what's inside of him, will come a river of living water. Living. And see, that word living is very important in the book of, of John because life is important to him in that book. He, Jesus is the bread of life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the true vine which is going to share life. But he says, now, if, if you want to, if you thirst, come to me. Now, at this point, it's always dangerous when you part company with great men of God in their interpretation of something. It's always fear and trembling. You know, you read all these coming, you find out what they all say about it, and then you say, I don't think it says that. Because very often, and I, this is not a heresy thing, it's not like their position is heretical and mine is the right one. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, what is Jesus really saying there? If any man thirsts, and there's a lot of messages, and, I, and I've actually given them before, because I, I looked at it later and I said, no, I don't think it works that way. Where, where the emphasis is on, are you thirsty or are you not thirsty? Right? And if you really have thirst, then you can go here. All right? But in the context, I don't think it works that way. I think Jesus is just alerting everybody. Everybody is thirsty. Now you're going to do something about that thirst. Here's what to do about that thirst. You're already thirsty. Now, I want to think about that. See, the, the, the uh, feast, it says at the last day of the feast... Okay, what feast was that? Anybody know which one it is? It might be in your Bible right there. Anyway, here it is. I, I don't have... Okay, go ahead. It's the Feast of Tabernacles, which is also called the Feast of Ingatherings. It was a Thanksgiving feast. It is the equivalent of our Thanksgiving. The harvest was over, and they would all get together. It was a happy feast. It's just, for me, I think about it, it's just like Thanksgiving was the most happy vaca- or holiday I had when I was growing up. Family would get together. It was, anyway, I won't go into all that. But it was happy time. What we did in the Feast of Tabernacles is everybody came to Jerusalem and they made these little tents. They were booths. They, they took some trees and made little booths. It never rained that time of the year. You're not going to get wet. But you put this up so you can have some shade. Because it's, but you lived in that. You slept on the, ro- on the street. You know, everybody was in there and they were all... And family was together, and you got to meet with all the cousins and the second cousins and third cousins, and there was their clan-oriented group. And they partied for a week, in a sense. I mean, it wasn't drunken party. It was just, but they just had a great time. They, they feasted together. It was not a solemn assembly. Now, the purpose of that assembly was there was two, two parts. Well, actually, there's three parts to it. First of all, it was a thanksgiving for the fact that God had provided for them again. Right, they had they had gotten it. It's the same thing that our Thanksgiving is for. Second reason is it was a remembrance of how God had taken care of them when they're in the wilderness. That was the little, the little booths were to remind them of when they used to be in the wilderness after God took them out, and how God took care of them there. 
The third thing it was, was it was an anticipation. They were thanking God that one day he would come and set up a kingdom on this earth. That's, that was, it was an anticipation of that, that thing. So it's, it's very interesting. But the one I want you to note is it, it had to do with the tabernacle or the uh, time in the wilderness. Now think about this for just a minute. They were slaves in Egypt, all right? They were slaves. And it's bad to be a slave, all right? It's bad to be in that situation. And they wanted to be free. So God came and made them free, right? But when he get, took them out of that, takes them out of Egypt, where did they go? But no. Where did they end up after they crossed the Red Sea? Where did he end up? In the wilderness, in, in the desert, all right? It's the desert of Sinai. All right. Um, that's a real this is a real deliverance. Because in Egypt, there's society. Why is there society there? Because there's a, a river that goes right down the middle and you have water. And because that water's there, you can grow crops. Nobody lived in the wilderness. Nobody. Nobody lived in that wilderness. Well, maybe a couple people. But they don't live out there. Why is a desert a desert? Because it's deserted. All right, that's what the word desert means. This is a place which is deserted. Why is it deserted? Well, the history of mankind, if you've studied it, you realize that any place which gave you easy living is where people lived. Places that had hard living, like there's no water and no food, people don't live there. It's a desert, desert, all right? It's deserted. God took them out of, out of this bondage, but they had food there and they had water there. And then they came out, and here they are at 110 degrees, and there's no water supply. Now, there's a big group of them, but let's just take a 1,000 of them. I mean, you answer this question for me. We have a 1,000 people. We've selected them from the, from the Israeli nation. You, I don't know who they are. They, they can be old people, young people, whoever you want to put in this group. Okay, here they are, right? We are three days out in the Sinai Desert. How many of them are thirsty? They're all thirsty. I mean, we're having these games in the morning. Why are we having them in the morning? Because you all would fall over in the afternoon. It was almost 100 degrees yesterday. And you get down in that pit down there where the breeze doesn't blow. You can see it blowing over top of you, but it doesn't blow down here. All right? And the heat there and running around. And in a couple hours we would have people with heat exhaustion. That group is three days out into the wilderness. And where's God brought them? To a hot place which doesn't have what they need to live. How many of them, again, I'm going to say, how many of them are thirsty? All of them. Now, this, this uh, feast was to remember that, right? To remember how God took care of them. So what happened to them out there? Did they ever stop being thirsty? Did God do something for them which stopped the process of getting thirsty? No, he did not. All right? He didn't miraculously work and say, I'm going to take away thirst. I'm going to make it so you don't need water. What did he do? Anybody remember? Well, long story short, because we got a long way to go. Uh, long story short is God provided a river for them. And don't, don't ever be, some of those pictures, Bible story pictures, I remember one I grew up with where they had a little spigot, you know, it was, it was kind of a, 
it was like a hose sticking out of a rock. Well, you try to feed 10,000, 100,000 with a spigot. How long does it go? We couldn't, we couldn't keep you hydrated down there with a spigot. All right? No, God, God sent a river. Everywhere they went, there was a river that followed them. And, and, and he provided. You see, there was nothing in the place they were that could answer their need. So God answered their needs so that they would turn to God. That was the point. As he says later on, and it's speaking about the other side of it, but he said, I humbled you in the wilderness. I put you in a place where it was tough. And here's why I did. So you could learn that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That you could learn that, that, that I can supply, but you have to listen to me. Right? You, you can't, I'm, not a, I'm not a genie that you can call on to do whatever you want. But I'm there to supply the need. I am there to supply it. Everybody was thirsty. The difference between those people on that day when they heard this, if any man thirsts, is not whether they're thirsty. It's what are they going to do about their thirst? Right? Now, when we say that they're thirsty, and this is, this is the other message that I was going to do yesterday and I was going to try to get in today. Here it is. Five minutes. On Genesis chapter 3. Right, here it is. What is your condition and why are you in that condition? And why are you under pressure concerning whether or where you're going to find life? Well, here's what had happened. Genesis chapter 2 describes the actual creation of Adam. In Genesis chapter 1 it says he made man male and female. And it just it's the description that he made mankind. All right. It tells all about that. In Genesis chapter 2, it says this. He formed man. It's a beautiful picture that God formed man from the dust of the earth. And then what did he do for that man? Here's what he does. He takes him and it says he breathed into him the breath of life. That you have life, that we have, the human race has life. Not just because God said, let them be alive, but because he communicated life to them from himself. That's amazing. Again, that's what the picture is, okay? Now, this idea of life and death in the Word of God is a little complex, all right? <laughs> I was talking to a man yesterday about how difficult it is because, you know, am I alive or am I dead or what, you know, am I, where am I? You know, and the Word is used in a lot of different ways. But now the man is alive. He's alive because of his relationship with God, okay? Now, when he was alive in his relationship with God, God provided wonderfully for him. It's very important. He gave him, let's just think about it. Adam was in control of the whole earth. You rule it. Wouldn't you like to be king of the earth? He was king of the earth. There's nobody else to compete with him. So there it is. He's king. He's king. He has authority over it. He has a big job to do. He owns it all. The earth belonged to Adam. Now you say it was God's, but God gave it to him. Enjoy it. Why did he give it to him? Because he had created man in a certain way and he knew this is what he needed. He needs a job to do. He needs this. It's just part of being like God. All right. He also created uh, trees and all the rest of it for food. And it says everything about it was beautiful and good. How about that? It was beautiful and good. So that when Adam went, you know, if we had. We could have a discussion here about what foods are good and what aren't right. Some of you like sushi. I don't like sushi at all. 
if I had to live on sushi, boy, boy, it'd be life. It'd be a tough life. You could do it. You could do it. It's better than starving to death, but not much. All right. Some people like broccoli and some people don't like broccoli. Some people like cilantro and some people don't like cilantro. Yeah, okay, it's just one of those things. Is cilantro? Is that the right way you say it? Anyway, I don't like it, so I don't know. So anyway, so here's the point. When Adam was created, every tree he went to that had fruit on it, when he tasted it, it would be good. That's the way God had made it. So he's having a good time. All right, he's having a good time. He has a relationship with Eve, and I'm not going to go into that much, but God created the whole intimacy issue. It, it, it's been perverted in our day, but nevertheless, the, the essence of that was created by God, not by, not by the devil. And he created it, why? So the, the man could have a, because it wasn't good for him to not be in relationship. And he had the potential for family, and he had potential. There's all kinds of potentials. So he's not really having a bad time, but that wasn't life. Life was what? Life was the fact that he knew God. That's what, that's what gave him this life within. All right? Now, Eve does something. She's tempted in the garden. All right? You remember the temptation. Because there's only one thing he can't do. There's only one thing on the face of the earth that Adam can't do, and that's what? Eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we weren't going to develop that too much. But that's the one thing you can't do. And what was the what was God's warning concerning eating that? In the day that you eat of it, what will happen? You'll die. All right? You'll die. All right? And so, because of Eve's confusion there, she ends up eating it. Now, why did she eat it? Well, again, this is, I'm just, this is long story short. She ate it because she believed it would give her life. A richer experience of life. That's why, because this kid's, this will make you wise. This will develop you to your fullness, right? That's why she ate it. She didn't eat it because she didn't have anything else to eat. She ate it because she thought that this was going to expand her life. Was it going to expand her life? No. It was a lie. But she bought it. And then she gave it to Adam. And on that day, what happened? She died. Now, here's where the confusion comes. You see, uh, we have a flower farm over there, all right? Some of those flowers, now, I don't know why this, who figured this out? Because, you know, I've never been tempted to eat a flower, all right? I just to be honest with you, I've never been, never been tempted that way. But some of those flowers that we grow are edible. If you went from the top of our <laughs> garden to the bottom, some of them are edible. But there's one that grows about halfway down that if you ate it today, we would make funeral arrangements tomorrow. It's deadly poison, right? And so if I say, I wouldn't tell you which one it is. Just don't eat any of them, right? <laughs> don't eat flowers. I, I think it's the same. Anyway, but the flower. But if you eat this, you're goner. It's a poison. It's a deadly poison. I don't even like picking it, all right? You don't want to, oh, you know, I'm dead. All right? Now, I'm telling you, if you did eat it, you would be dead tomorrow. Adam, God says to him, in the day that you eat of it, you'll die. But in the sense that we think, I'm telling you, you would be dead if you ate that. You wouldn't be, Adam wasn't dead, right? In that sense. But he is dead. Why? Because the relationship with God has been destroyed. He's been cut off from that intimacy and that with God. 
And that's where life was. And immediately you start to see problems. He has all kinds of problems, right? We said he starts being sinful. He starts getting personal. Anyway, all sorts of, he gets afraid. Fear enters the human race. He was never afraid before that. Can you imagine that? Anyway. But when he did that, a great big gap opened up in his being. Because he was created to know God. And that's the main reason he existed, was to know God. All this was just to make him feel good and to, to help him. Because God is kind. That's the kind of God he is. But he himself was the real source of life. Now, that's no longer there. But he is not. He still has thirst. But he doesn't have a capacity to find God to answer that thirst. So what does the human race do? Well, it does the same thing that Eve did. She believed the lie that by taking hold of what's on this earth, I can find life. I can extract it from something on this earth. That's what she, and she believed that lie. And the whole human race has believed it since then. You believed it. You still believe it to a degree, right? When you were constructing, what is life? All right, what is life? All right, and again, I don't have a lot of time, so I'm not going to go too deep into it. But what did you? What do you think about there? Well, there's two ways to look at it. What is life, and what is the experience if you have life? And it takes some thoughtfulness because, uh, again, it's not intuitively obvious what what real life is, and how do you know if you have it? All right, but when you were constructing it. What kind of things come up in your real mind that would make you laugh? Now, is, is there anybody, well, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, who doesn't believe that your experience would be better if you had a billion dollars handed to you today? There's hardly anybody that doesn't believe that. That's why people inside of churches still buy lottery tickets. Why? Why? Oh, just for fun? See if I can win? Why do they do that? Because they believe that if they had more money, life would be better. Right? Now, again, maybe. If you had, what is other things? If you had, if people loved you. That's a big one in our day for your, your age group. If people just would love and accept you, then, then it would be life. That's all over the place, right? You have to accept me as I am. because And that's the thought is that if you would just accept me as I am, then what would happen? I would experience life. But in both cases, there's a problem with this. I have to find that life because you do something or something out here comes to me. I, it does, it's not internal. It's not internal. It's external. And what's, what's more is it doesn't work. Do you remember... Uh, Jesus' words, he says, um, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? I mean, everything there is to be had in this world, sensual pleasure, food, chance to see places, relationships, esteem, power, whatever there is to be had, you have it, money. You got it, the whole thing. And lose his own soul. You ever thought about that verse and you think, ah, oh, but nobody will ever have that. You know, Adam had that. He had the whole world was his. But he lost his soul. And the next day he was afraid. 
And the next day, pain entered the life. And the next day, things went wrong. Because the things out there can't give you life. God created them to be enjoyed. That's, that's why they're there. God gave us all things richly to enjoy, right? That's a dangerous one to put in at this point, but that's just the fact. Because sometimes people think that the way to get to life is just to eliminate all that world. And then I would really be living. That's not true. That's not true. They can't supply life to you. But if you took them away, you still wouldn't have life because you would still be thirsty. All right. What is the answer? What's the answer? The answer is to be given a life which isn't dependent on what's outside of you. To be given a situation which is not, which you don't have to have it. Because two things, you see, when you were thinking about what, what drives people as they're trying to satisfy the thirst, there are two sides to it. This is, this is philosophic, but anyway, here we go. One is fear. Fear. People seek for things because they're afraid. The other one is, and this is, it's, it's desire. It's satisfaction and safety that make you want things or experiences, right? It's one or the other. Um, and, and what experience you've had will dictate which of those is the stronger. I had friends when I grew up. Uh, some of them were very... They were in our little gang, you know. Everybody has their little gang and our little gang, our little group. Some of them grew, they were in homes where their mom and dad were never on the same page. To go into that home was to go into conflict. When they described what they really wanted in life, it had to do with peace. If they could change their world, they wouldn't want things. That's not the way they thought. What they would do is make everybody love everybody else so I can live in my house in peace. So that my dad doesn't backhand me because he's mad at my mother. and So that I can go to my room and not have to hear the yelling and screaming. Right? I didn't grow up in a home like that. So when I was constructing my eye, my view of what would be real life, that wasn't in my picture. As I had that, my parents loved each other and took care of each other. And my home was peaceful. So from that peaceful point, what am I? I'm more interested in how I can build. Right? One of the big things when I was your age. When I was being, when I was describing when would I really have life, I'll tell you one element that was was essential in that i would be out of my house where i wasn't under my parents freedom <laughs> i don't know man. i'm not trying to suggest anything because it didn't work all right life isn't there but you see as i looked at it the chance to go out there and do it my own way relationship okay it had its part pleasure had its part there were all kinds of things but you're, you're, what you want in life is going to be determined by those two things. And the fact that matters, you can't have it. You can't have it because all the things that are in this world that can contribute to that are, they're variable. They're unreliable. When it comes to people, they're unfaithful, right? Now, again, <laughs> this is, this is, I don't listen to pop music anymore. I used to be able to talk to people about this because the pop music, described it all. All right? 
Well, you still love me tomorrow. <laughs> you know, I want a relationship. But see, as soon as you have a relationship, all you have to do is look around this world and realize relationships break up. Now I've got one. Now it's everything to me. And then how do I know tomorrow it will still be there? Will you still love me tomorrow? You see, that's, that was a question. It's a legitimate question because, hey, you might get old. You will get old. <laughs> Why does he love me? Why does she love me? What happens if it changes? Hmm. That's the insecurity of this world, right? Um, you can have a great relationship, but I wonder how many women in this world in marriages wonder every day if their husband's having an affair. Even if there's no evidence, just because it's happened so often. Bad day, are they having it? See, that robs you of your joy and peace. Okay, let's go to another one. Money. Well, money. You, you, if you're doing well, you're ignoring the news. You know, it's a good way to be peaceful is ignore the news. But anyway, by the way, just by the way, um, we are on the verge of runaway inflation. <laughs> the economy could fall apart. So what happens if you have built your world around a 401k, which is your protection for, for retirement, and the whole thing falls apart? Now, you say, well, it may not. It may not. But that causes fear, right? See, you can hold on to this, but it can't give life because it's out there and you can't control it. I can't control the gas prices. I can't control the economy. I can't control the politics of this country or any other country. I can't control my neighbors. I can't control my own family. I can't control anything. All right. And if I tie my life to any of this out here, I'm on a bucking bronco. I mean, and it wants to get me off. And wow. And even if I could lock on to it, even if I could be one of those guys who had the billionaire type of status, what's the other side of it? I have another fear. What's that? You don't think about that much, but it's it's out there for you. Right? Old age. The only alternative is dying early. I mean, let's, let's face it. We all, and this is part of what God, again, that basis, oh, that's a terrible thing to say to kids. When, when um, John the Baptist was told to go and preach to people from the book of Isaiah, he said, what should I tell them? And I, I tell people this every because I want you to think about it. Here's what to tell them. All flesh is grass. And it's glory like the flower of the grass. And the grass withers and the flower fades. So if you had the whole world and you were like Adam, then what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. It's going to get worse from here on out. In a physical sense. I want to, don't want to depress you because here's the point. Jesus Christ offers life and if you'll take hold of it, it won't matter. I can testify to that. I can make fun of the fact that I'm old because it doesn't depress me. It just doesn't. I'm closer to eternity, right? The worst thing that can happen to me is I die. That's from a human perspective. And then where am I? Then where am I? I'm with the Lord. Then there's nothing in between. I don't have to fight the fights anymore. That should be good. Now, you can only say that if you came to him and let him satisfy your thirst. And he can do it. I am deeply afraid 
that people who profess to know Jesus Christ never go to him for that. They don't build their life on it. They don't even ask him to do it. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not going to. We're not talking about perfection here. But when I'm in trouble, where do I know to go? I go to the Lord, right? And that's what he's saying here. If any man thirst, and again, those people, when the river came out, okay, here's this river that God supplied in the wilderness. It's coming out of the rock. That will stop them from being thirsty, right? No, it won't stop them from being thirsty. It will just make a supply for that thirst, which is extra so they don't have to go out and hunt for it. They didn't have to go into that bleak place. It's a picture. That wilderness is a picture of what this world's about. There's nothing out there that can actually meet you, but God can meet you if you'll come to him, if you'll come to him. And so that's what Jesus makes this, this offer. And that's, that's the faith issue. Now, when you hear that, here's where faith comes in. You either believe it or you don't. Right? And um, sometimes people say things and they'll say things like, you know, how can it be that somebody could go through the Institute and then they're out there living for the world? It's real simple. <laughs> That's not, that doesn't, so that doesn't shake my faith at all. Because there's nothing I can do for a person who comes here but tell them what Jesus said. I can only testify. Just like Jesus testified. He didn't force anybody to follow him, right? He never corralled anybody. He never said, you have to. He said, follow me. And they either did or they didn't. He said that to Levi and Levi followed him. He said that to the rich young ruler. And what happened? I think you heard that. Didn't you hear that? You haven't heard it yet. Anyways, you're going to hear it somewhere. All right. Okay. But... Well, he says it to the rich young ruler. And what is the rich young ruler going to do? He said, no, I believe my position and my money are where life is. I dearly can't do that. You see, he didn't receive Jesus. He didn't receive him. To receive him means I listen to what he says and I build my life. So when I build my life on what he said, and you're at a position in your life when you're starting off, and it's easy because you don't have a lot of, a lot of baggage to overcome. If you were 50, the, the things that entangle a person by the time they're 50 make it really hard to break out and come to Jesus and to commit themselves to him. But you don't have all those things. It's, it's, this is as easy a time. If people are going to come to the Lord, most of them come before they're 20 years of age. So you're right at the time. when Because it's so, in a sense, it's so much easier and you can build so much better. The more you go, the more things tie you up. So we're, okay, you got your bank account, you got this, you got this. And and this following Jesus becomes a problem which has too many shackles to get off. See, that's why Jesus says, again, take no thought for tomorrow, what you'll eat or what you'll drink. Are you going to do that? Because he says this, you can't serve God in money or things. The money thing, or I said mammon there, means money and the things money can buy. If that's where you're looking for life, you can't find it in God. You got your choice. That's what Jesus says at the end. Now, you're going to build on this. You're either going to aim for knowing me or you're going to aim for having money. Everybody does it. All right? That's one of the big ones there. You're going to have to decide, will Jesus satisfy my heart or will sensuality Satisfy my heart. It's a big one, right? There it is. Well, can Jesus fill that gap by supplying, he takes care of it, 
or will people's approval on the social platform fill that gap? That's a big one, I think. I'm, I'm not on that, but I, I, I can feel for you. If you go out on that social platform and <laughs> you could be accepted or you could be roundly rejected, right? But it has nothing to do with life, but it can crush you, right? Because even though it doesn't change anything, it crushes, right? Criticism can be brutal. But what does Jesus say? He says, here's, if you want to live, you really want to live? Beware of living before men. Live before God. You want to live? You really want to live? <laughs> live before God. How many people actually move there? Are you going to move there? Are you going to receive Jesus? These are big questions to me. Right? And we're going to talk about it a little bit more tomorrow. Uh, but, I, but I want to ask you to, to think about it. Because everybody's going to leave and they're going to do something. And I'm well aware there's nothing I can do to go in there and rearrange your heart. It's not in my hands. It's in your hands. It's between you and God. But when Jesus comes, he works in you. When God, by the Spirit, works in you. This is very important. He works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's how I know God's working in your life. Because you determine that I'm going to follow Jesus. And then you do it. Not perfectly, again. But you keep going back to him. Right? The people who hear it and don't do it. But I want to say, if, if, if it doesn't lead, if your life isn't being molded to a place where you are more and more desiring to do what God wants, him to, wants you to do, and then actually carrying it out, right? Putting aside things, again, moving from this to this. Then God isn't working. Because that's what he does when he works. It's up to him. It won't be your glory if you do it. It won't be because it won't be praise to you because he did it because of that. But you can't get out of the fact you have to do it. When I came to the Lord 50 years ago, the issue was relationship. Was I going to try to find life in relationship or was I going to let God give me? And he showed me a relationship I was in, which was not ungodly in a sense, but it was, it was not his purpose for me. And that became obvious to me. And a big question comes. And this was the, this was the, this is where it was. And I've told you over and over again. This was the, this is the crisis. I sat right back about over there and on yellow chairs that used to be here. And Mr. Gale preached on Annas and Sapphira. And the thought was this. You profess to have given everything to God and you've only given part. You're content. And the part that I didn't give him was the part where I thought life was in a relationship. I would follow Jesus anywhere except for giving up this relationship. See, I can't do that and find life in Jesus because I'm not coming to Him and I'm not receiving Him. I'm coming and listening. I can't parcel it out and say, I'll do this part and this part, but I won't do that part. <laughs> and that's where it was. And I said, and it hurt. I want to say it hurt. And I said, no, I'm going to let that relationship go. It was a killer. And again, I want to say there was nothing wrong with the person. Something wrong with me, but there wasn't wrong. <laughs> she actually knew the Lord, and it was, there was a lot of funny things about it, but it was the wrong direction. But the point was, I loved the relationship. I hoped I could milk a relationship for life, that that would make me full and rich. It wouldn't have. 
and I could have missed the whole way, right? Lord's speaking to you. He's going to speak to you. He's going to tell you, this is what you really want. This is where you're looking for life. What is it? You have to ask yourself that question because he's right here. It's personal. Once you've heard that, see, that's not me reading that to you. Well, it is me reading it to you. But Jesus is saying that. He said, that's the word of God. That's the Lord speaking to us. If you're thirsty, if you're thirsty, and you are thirsty, here's what he says. What's he say? Come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. If you do that, what happens? I will put in you, and people don't believe this is true, but here it is. It, I want to say it's true. And there are people here who can testify to it. He will do something for you where life comes from within and you won't need the outside anymore. And you will be free. You don't need it. And nobody can harm you. They can put you on the Isle of Patmos, but they can't take away your day with the Lord. Because life come, came from within John because he had taken hold of Jesus. And so even though those men, all those 11 men, 10 of them were martyred. And John ends up on the Isle of Patmos. It's not a pleasant experience, but they couldn't take away his life. Right? We were talking yesterday to a man about, a man named Watchman Nee was a, a very famous Christian in uh, China before the communists took over. And they put him in prison when they took over and they kept him there until he died. Now, there's no, there's no official record and I can't, but the apocryphal record, the record that comes out is that person after person after person came to know the Lord inside that prison. <laughs> Why? Because you can put a man in prison, but you can't stop the flow of life from within. Nobody has access to this. Nobody. And God wants to put it there so that you will live no matter whether you are in a wealthy circumstance or poor circumstance. Paul says, I have, I have found a secret in life. Here's what he says. I know how to abound and I know how to be abased. And I was like, I know how to be rich and I know how to be poor. And what is that secret? I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. The life comes from within. That's what God wants for you. Don't settle short. Don't, don't walk around it. <laughs> Ask him to show you where you're at on all that. So that you can come to him and receive life from him. Okay, well, we'll come back and think about more tomorrow. Let's pray. Father, we're coming before you and asking you to work in us. To hear your truth. Well, we, we've heard it from your word, and we're asking you now to enable us to receive it. So your purpose for us, your wonderful purpose for us, can be fulfilled. We trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.